Thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Presbyterian Church weekly podcast. We are glad you joined us. Trinity is a member congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America and the Acts 29 Network. We are located in Owasso, Oklahoma. Follow us at trinityowasso.com. Also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trinity Owasso. If you have a Bible, please find it and open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. If you are so cold that you need a jacket, there are a lot of jackets that will fit sixth grade bodies in the lost and found just outside this door. So you are welcome to go grab a hoodie or a jacket that's out there in the lost and found. Just be sure to return it to the lost and found or you will look very silly next week when uh, you're wearing that sixth grade hoodie around town. If you haven't filled out these connect cards, uh, please do. Uh, Especially if you're here for the first time, Um, We want to be able to know how we can follow up with you, how we can pray for you. And so you can drop those in any of the connect card boxes that are around the back of the sanctuary, or you're welcome to bring it up to the baskets as we come to the Lord's table uh, later this morning. Please, if you're a member also, please fill that card out and let us know how we can be praying for you in particular. Paul's letter to the Corinthians what we see as 1 Corinthians in our New Testament, is a book that teaches us how to apply the gospel to every part of life. And it teaches us not only how to apply the gospel, but it covers relevant issues that you have wondered about. It shows us how to maintain unity in the local church amidst a divisive era. And it provides practical principles for you to grow in your Christian life. It speaks about unity. It speaks about the physical body and of marriage, particularly about intimacy issues within marriage, food, gathered corporate worship, and the resurrection. There were fractions in the church in Corinth. And Paul starts his book out by addressing that the fractions, some are choosing by personal preference or by false assumptions to follow Paul or some Apollos, some Peter, some Cephas, some even saying, we follow Jesus. And Paul is saying to them, there should be no fractions in the local church. You are operating not by the worldly wisdom, but you are operating by the wisdom that comes from the cross, which levels the playing field, doesn't care who gets the credit. It seems like folly to the world, but it's actually the hidden and secret wisdom of God. And then last week, we learned that you can, you've moved from being fleshy, natural, unregenerated, unborn Christian to being spiritual, to being born again. But you act fleshly. You are acting as though you'd never been converted to the gospel. You're acting just like the world would. And today, Paul hones in on this metaphor that he began, where he emphasizes God's work in and through us. You are God's fellow workers. In Greek, God's fellow workers, you are. God's field, you are. God's building, you are. And today, he builds on that metaphor. And in these verses, we see four keys to the better way that's available to us as the covenant people of God. Four ways that show us that life is better together. 
How are we to be the covenant people of God? Well, first he shows us, number one, that there is a new power source. Two, a new method. Three, there is a cost. And four, there is an identity that you must claim. There's a new power source, a new method, a new cost, and a new identity. So with those four points in mind, we are going to learn that Christ builds his church with your best. So let's stand together as we read God's word, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. And as I read it, know that men and women have lost their lives to be able to translate this into English for you and for me. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy And you are that temple. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. First, how does God show us keys to a better life together? Number one, you have a new power source. Car makers today are experimenting with new power sources. Some of you may even have an electric car. The aviation industry is also experimenting with electric airplanes, something that seems a little bit more (laughs) risky. If you were a traditional family and at the time when our country was founded, all the way up until the end of the 1800s, then you powered most of your life with wood. When the Industrial Revolution came by, it was powered often by water sources. Later, Petroleum products became the primary way that we power. And in the last 80 years, natural gas has been the way that we have powered much of our life together. In our own discipleship journey, there, we have a search for different power sources. We're tempted to say, ah, a new insight, a new podcast, a new teaching. Yes, this is what I need. And though study and finding new resources for discipleship are something that we should look for and practice regularly. That is not the power source that the Apostle Paul commends here. What empowers him as a skilled builder? Look at verse 10. In Greek, it is karatein karen tu theu, according to the grace of God. If you read the Gospels, if you read the Gospels in Greek, it's always... You know, uh, the euangelion, the gospel, 
euangelion kata Matthew, euangelion kata Mark, etc., etc. Kata is the word that means according to or sourced by. Of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were the original authors, but they were writing by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here, Paul says, the power source is the grace of God. And we learn that the grace of God is the underlying power that equipped Paul for his service. The grace of God is the underlying power that equips you for his service. The grace of God means more than just that God commissioned Paul like he did on the, uh, the, the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, verse 6. It's more than just, I send you out, Paul. He is saying that I'm giving you a totally new power source. It is according not to your might, not to your wisdom as a Hebrew of Hebrews from the tribe of Benjamin. It is according to the grace of God in your life. It is a totally new motivation. How does that work? If you remember the swimmer uh, Michael Phelps, anybody remember Michael Phelps? How can we forget him? His very first Olympics in Athens years ago, they, he had racked up like five gold medals. And he had a teammate on uh, the swim team, Team USA, named Ian Crocker, who had gotten the flu. Do you remember the story? He got, he got the flu during the Olympics, and he was just struggling. And Ian Crocker couldn't swim. He couldn't, he just, he was this incredible athlete, but he'd gotten the flu and he couldn't participate in any of his events, some of which he was supposed to win. And so the night before the 4x400 relay, Michael Phelps came to Ian Crocker and he said, Ian, I'm not going to swim in the 4x400 relay. I want you to swim in my place. And he, he had five gold medals. And Ian later says in an interview that when, when Phelps told me this, I had been sick all week and was feeling better, and I almost just wept as I hugged him and said thank you for this incredible privilege. And it made me want to go and just tear up that pool. And of course, you know, Ian Crocker and the other guys who did the 4x400 relay did. They went on and they, they won the gold medal. And the grace of God is God giving us what we don't deserve. Or as you've heard in the mnemonic, it is God's riches at Christ's expense. It is God giving to us something that we don't deserve. And that good news is so good. It doesn't just become newsworthy. It becomes a motivation that drives us to go out and tear up this life to go and obey the commandments of God because of the profound privilege that he has given to us. He has won the gold and he says, now go, swim, do it. As a skilled architecton, architect, it says, Paul writes, I laid a foundation in someone else's building upon it. Notice that Paul is only the initial architect. He's the one that is laying the foundations. Others are actually doing the building. If he was the one doing the building of the whole structure, he would have used a Greek term, ergostikos. But he's not the worker. He's the one who's laying the foundation. He's the architect. Others are building upon what he has done. And when you and I are motivated by grace, motivated by grace, we do not stink and care who gets the credit. 
Each of us have a role to play. And we are building up the local church. And the same power that equipped Paul for service in the mid-first century, he equips you too. There are aspects that you bring to corporate worship that are strengths that no preacher or staff member in this church could ever provide. No elder could ever provide that. Why? Because we're not you. And the benefit of coming to church is that you're sharing that with us and that we get to see the kaleidoscope of the beauty of God's people as we worship together as his people. When you and I are motivated by grace, we do not care who gets the credit because it is the grace of God that is the underlying power that equips us for his service. It is not the pats on the back that we get, though we may get thanked. That's great. It is the grace of God who has been given to us at the expenses of Jesus. And a gospel-centered, grace-focused church, friends, is a messy church. It is not clean. A grace-focused church is a kind of church where sinners feel welcome to come. But a grace-filled church is the kind of church that repels the self-righteous because they don't like the mess. And we want to be a church that is so overwhelmed with the grace of God that, of course, we live holy lives pleasing to him in every way. We want to live lives of holiness and joy obeying his commandments because we're empowered by a new power according to the grace of God. And when you have a messy church, you know what that also means? It means people get hurt. I mean, gunpowder explodes, but it also provides fireworks. It's messy. It's powerful. And the grace of God is the greatest power source that humanity has ever seen. Second, there's a method. Paul tells us how we are to build this local body, how we are to do life as God's covenant people in a better way. First, there's a new power source. There's a new motivation. And second, there's a new method. What does he say? Look at the very end of verse 10. Let each one, here are the skills that we need, take care how he builds upon it. We must take care how you serve, how we serve. You must take care how you serve. Paul's, Paul's primary uh, point in this passage is that there's a discontentment in the church in Corinth where they were leaving the gospel of grace and they were pursuing some pseudo-gospel, something else that wasn't centered upon Jesus. And Paul says to them that if you're going to be the covenant people of God, verse 11, if that's what the Corinthians were going to be, then there could only be one true foundation, and that is Christ and him crucified. And that foundation of Jesus determines the shape of the entire edifice. If you, if you build a building and you, you don't build according to the foundation, that building's not going to stand. And Paul says, we have designed a foundation, which is the finished work of Christ, empowered by grace. Build on it, God's covenant people. But there are skills that you need. What are those skills? Well, the first skill that he assumes and that we should take to heart, especially right now as COVID tends to blow in and blow out, is the value of in-person corporate worship. I mean, haven't you, haven't you missed that? 
regular worship attendance. Where do you get that from the text? Well, how do you build his church with your best? How do you build on the foundation Paul has given to us unless we gather together? And those of you who are watching from home, we are so glad you are. We would love to see your faces here soon with us. And we want us to be able to worship and pray that we're able to worship safely amidst the the pandemic. And we want to be able to see each other. That's why the fellowship day at the land was so fun at the fall festival, because we just got to hang out with each other. Some people we haven't seen in months. Some maybe not even in a year. Corporate worship is the engine of transformation for your life. It is the way that God has ordained you to be shaped and molded by him. And so here's a challenge that I just want to straight up give you as your friend and as your pastor. Would you do your best to come to worship every Sunday through the end of the year? And if you travel, would you do your best to go to worship wherever you travel until the end of the year? Why? Just do a little experiment with your family. The value of the Holy Spirit working in and among his people in corporate worship is something no podcast and no watching of the service through a screen can ever substitute for. There is something mystical that happens in the presence of the people of God. I see Mark Freeman. I see a different aspect of Christ's life that I and my children need to see. I see Tom Schleyball, and I say, yes, I love Tom's thirst for theology, and I long to be able to manifest that in my own life and heart. I see Harlan, the way that Harlan serves our community so well in helping even lead so much of the fall festival and say, yes, orthodoxy and orthopraxy come together, the right living and serving as a deacon. Oh, it's beautiful. I see Tim and Susan drive up from Muskogee. I say, yes, they go such a great distance to come to worship every week. And I wonder, and I'm the pastor. Oh my gosh, I don't want to go to church. And I live four miles away. Come to worship every week until the end of the year. Try it. Studies have shown recently, they've come out, that says COVID has caused one-third of the church to basically be wiped out of almost every local church. And 33% of pastors right now are actively or have left the ministry since COVID started. Regular attendance now means that someone attends church one-third of the year. What would it be like if we taught our children the value of coming to corporate worship and in the midst of the mess of a grace-focused people, we dealt with each other, we went to each other, we apologized to each other, we confessed to each other, we met in community groups and we said, I need you. Yes, it's messy. And we need to learn the skills again on how to be social. That's one of the assumptions that Paul suggests. I could go on with statistic after statistic, not only how corporate worship is better for you spiritually, but how studies have also shown, even this week, that it actually helps you physically. And 70,000 nurses who were surveyed, those that attended worship frequently were 29% less likely to become depressed and 50% less likely to divorce and five times less likely to commit suicide. They were 33% less likely to die during the 16-year follow-up period than people who did not attend worship regularly. Christianity Today's research indicates that the declining religious service attendance accounts for 40% of the rise in the suicide rate over the past 15 years. 
What if we had an amazing vehicle to help with the mental health problem in our community? And what if in glory, we're going to say, God, why do we have so much mental health problems when I was living? What was the deal? And what if Jesus were to say, oh, but you had one amazing antidote, and that is the regular worship of God's people together. I think he'll say that. Another way, not only coming to corporate worship every week as a way that we take care how we serve, is you grow in community, that you get involved in a community group. We didn't plan this yesterday, but did you notice if you were to take a drone picture of the land last night, there were basically eight or so, six or eight circles of people. (laughs) And that generally was because community groups just circled up together. It was wonderful. And then there were those who were outside of those groups and, and Generally, those people were the ones who aren't yet in community groups. I mean, community groups work. They're, they provide a sense of belonging. And if you're not in a community group, our arms are wide open to you. you like, we, there are seasons where we're not in community groups. We get it. We get it. Um, some community groups disband, and, and there's times of transition. But let's move toward each other in community groups, because that is, those are the communities of ministry with which we want to help fuel the mission of our church. So grow in community. Not only do we need to grow in understanding how to worship together as God's people, but we need to grow in how to know each other and how to be able to dwell together and share vulnerable stuff with each other and learn to trust one another again. Third, rediscover your calling and serve. Rest in worship, grow in community, rediscover your calling. These, th- these sound familiar, don't they? Find the way that God has called you to serve and begin there. Serve. Trinity makes it very easy for you to begin to serve. Kiddos, if you've ever wanted to serve, we will be glad to give you a thing of bulletins and let you pass them out. That's serving in a very important way. You are welcoming us to worship. There are lots of ways to serve in this church. We need people to help drive trucks on Sunday morning. We need people to help us get coffee to and from the service. We need people to help us um, host community groups. We need people to help us in the children's ministry. We need people to help. I mean, you just name your, name your prize and we'll give it to you. There's lots of ways that we need people to help serve the local church. And God has given us the local church to be the vehicle by which you learn to use your gifts, kiddos. You learn to serve because God wants to build his church with your best. And if you're not ready to start at Trinity, then start at home. Take time to listen to your spouse or your roommates this week. Ask them to share a few ways that you could serve them in small but meaningful ways. Create a daily habit of serving your spouse or of your roommate. Some specific way, maybe that they have asked you to help them out and the past that you've forgotten about, step back up to the plate and do that. Husbands and wives, ask yourself, how can I serve you? What are ways that you need me to serve you? Whatever it is, change the light bulb, go camping, plan a date night, initiate intimacy, reflect over your conversations, and choose just some one thing that might surprise your spouse and do it. Those of you who are single, what about your roommates? Serve your roommates. Serve your friends. Ask them, well, how can I serve you? If you're not ready to do that at church, try it at home.
Find one daily way that you can just serve them in some small way as a way that the Holy Spirit is using to hone you to better use your gifts for his kingdom. All right, so our motivation is the grace of God. Grace of God is the underlying power that equips you for a service. The method is to take care of, on how we serve by building on the foundation, which is Jesus. Third, we must not build that which costs us nothing. Church, we must not build on that which costs us nothing. Paul mentions building materials that are of great value. And the question is not whether it looks impressive now, but whether it stands the test of time and of God's judgment. The tragedy is that someone builds on the foundation of Christ, but he builds on it with rubbish. They are saved and they are his people, but they live their lives in such a fleshly way that they don't get to experience the grace of his intimacy and joy and walking in obedience to him. They are the ones that have moved further away. And they list these elements here, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, not because of their decreasing value, but because of their increasing flammability. At our uh, Presbytery meeting a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of our pastors in Edmond preached a sermon, and he used this great illustration about sanctification, about growing in holiness, and it was this. He says, when you go to the gym, you have plenty of freedom to use the machines in the gym however you want, but you're at the gym to work out, to build your muscles. You're there to do the hard work of getting in shape. So what does it mean to work out your salvation in fear and trembling as a Christian? You're not saving yourself. Jesus has done that. But you're building on the foundation, which is Christ. And your job in that gym is to work out, to feed upon his word, to come to, come to worship regularly, to be in a community group, to partake of the Lord's Supper, to deepen your prayer life. That is your job. Are you a member of that club? Yes. Can you be in that room and not work out and still be a member of that club? Yes. But it looks silly. We all know the guys that come with their tattered shirts to just look at the mirror, show off in front of the mirror. They're flexing. They tend to work out. They do three things in two hours, and they look at themselves for 55 minutes. Is that you? We're called to love his word, to get into the meat of his word, to grow in our understanding of God's word together. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is the way that And we must not build that which costs us nothing. When God's day of judgment arrives, it says in verse 13, that the quality of each man's work will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of our work. And that the materials that we have used will be revealed for what they are. This is, this is not a judgment about the eternal salvation of the builder. There is certainly nothing here even that remotely points to the idea of purgatory from which Catholics pull out the idea that we will be somehow purified through fire. That idea is wholly unbiblical. In fact, verse 15 makes it abundantly clear that the builder with hay or straw will himself be saved even though his life 
His work may go up in flames. The picture here is of someone who is escaping with his life from a building that is engulfed in fire and is about to totally be destroyed. And so Paul is saying that in Corinth, the fundamental weakness of any church is that it assumes that it's building on the foundation of Christ, that it's taking pride in some aspect of their culture or some aspect of what they know or their location, but they are leaving the gospel for greater things. And Paul says, no, and the divisions in the church will be the symptoms by which you see the disease. And for Trinity, what that means is that the gospel of Christ is going to be a stumbling block for people in our community. And you are going to be misunderstood by people. You're going to, you go to worship every week. Like, don't you know that that's old news? People don't do that anymore. Only 29% of people regularly go to worship in 2021. It used to be 43% in 2011. Get on the trend train. And the idea that you're saved through the work of another person who died on the cross of Christ, who died on the cross for you, is totally against the world's wisdom. What is the underlying power that equips you for a service? Take care how you serve. We must not build on that which costs us nothing. And then finally and lastly, this is huge. Fourth, y'all are God's temple. We are God's temple. Notice what he says in verse 16. It's almost like a little throwaway line, but he pulls it out of the Old Testament. And Paul says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you all? Plural in Greek. If anyone destroys God's temple, how do you destroy God's temple? You disenfranchise yourself from it. You don't see yourself as crucial to the gathering of God's people. You choose your own preferences, your own schedule over the corporate gathering of God's people together. This is not a guilt trip to get you to come to worship. This is the beauty of God, of being God's covenant people in his temple. It is almost impossible to overemphasize the importance of the temple in the Old Testament. It was the center of religious and of civil life for the people of God. And in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, there are places where it describes God's temple as the place where heaven and earth meet together in some mystical and beautiful way because that's where God's presence was. And in the New Testament, God tells us that the church is the new, te- the new temple, that the church is God's dwelling place. So when we say church, we don't mean some building that we hope to see built beginning in February or March. You are the church. The church is the people of God. We are the church. We are the dwelling place. You are the stained glass. You are the testimony of the beauty of Christ to those who can't read by the life that you live and the consistency with which you live it. That's who we're called to be. And if you live this out, like why are so many young people, quite frankly, attracted to Anglicanism right now? They're attracted to the liturgy of the Anglican church. Why? Because it brings them into something bigger than themselves. You are the church. And we desperately need each other. So if you're interested in learning more about how to covenant with us, to take vows together, then on November the 7th, we're having another new members class. Shameless plug, but it's biblical. Consider coming to it. 
If you've been a member for a long time and you want to hear more about what the church is about because you've forgotten, come again. Come listen to the beauty of what it means that you, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, are chosen and precious. You yourself, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Or Ephesians chapter 2, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Friends, we are not dead bricks. The church is not a place that houses dead orthodoxy. We are people who are transformed according to the grace of God. We have a totally new motivation if you'll let it change you. We should take care how we serve, recognizing the means of grace God has given to us, building on the foundation which is Christ, coming to worship together, focus on Christ, not upon our personal preferences or how good the service or sermon was. We have the privilege of being able to be in community together, to walk in prayer, to come to the table. These are the precious gifts to us. And we must not build that which costs us nothing because one day we will be judged in the body for what we've done, whether good or bad. And our life's work may burn up like wood, hay, and straw or with gold, silver, and precious stones. We may be able to savor the joy of knowing that we live lives fully committed to him in this life, fully accepted, working out in the gym of which we can't lose our membership for his glory and for his joy because you're the temple. And we can do that because Jesus himself, the one who tabernacled among us, the true temple of God, came and he sacrificed himself on the cross to remind us again in coming to the table that you are given a new power to live as those who are born again. Amen? Let's do it together. Let's pray. Father, glory be to you, Christ, who gives us the indescribable gift of grace. Help us to look beyond this world to the next. Help us, Father, to recognize that something has been done for us that will stand forever. And help us, out of the enormity of gratitude and joy, to live our lives as though we really did believe that we were God's temple as though God's Spirit really did dwell in us because He does. And help us now by the power of your Holy Spirit to come in faith and repentance again to your table where you welcome sinners that you have made saints. We ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One practical way that we can also serve the Lord and give God our best is through giving to the church. And our church is slightly behind on our general giving for the year, and part of that's probably due to the fact that many of us are giving to the RISE campaign, which is wonderful. We're so grateful for that. But I would just challenge you that even as you continue to come to worship, consider the way that you give financially. And if that's not something that you yet do, we encourage you to, to join us in that. 
to help us begin to meet the challenges that the Lord has given to us and the vision he's provided for this church. There's ways you could do that on your bulletin. And we tend in COVID to underemphasize giving, to not talk about it very much, but I just wanted to bring a mention of it now as one practical way that you can do that. Follow one of those six ways and give as the Lord would lead you. The night that Jesus was betrayed in that upper room, he had a meal with his disciples, and at that Passover meal, he took bread as I, who minister in his name, now take it, and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you, for the remission of your sins. For as often as you do eat of this bread and you do drink of this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he comes again. Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The true temple of God came incarnated, tabernacled among us, so that we who are outside the temple gates might be brought in and, in fact, made together his new temple to shine before the world.